Do, do, you know, do you know how this little phrase goes? God is good. All the time. God is good. All the time. And last time, like you actually believe it. God is good. All the time. All the time. Oh, okay. Well done. We'll do it again. Not, not to, maybe, maybe in the middle of the talk. Who knows? Uh, and... Um, for those of you that are, well there's obviously a lot of you that haven't met or haven't met, remembered your names yet uh, I'm Mark and I've got no idea how to use a lectern um, there you go um, and I've been here about a week <laughs> it's really good to be here um, just turn to your neighbour you know, or, you know if, you're, if you like walked in the building with them then the person behind you or something and just say something like it's good that you're here That's quite enough being friendly to each other. It's all good. It's a church, you know? Goodness me. Um, just uh, for those of you that haven't heard the story, by the way, um, Meg just kind of gave me a nudge before I walked up, and, and you always have to pay attention to these nudges, so uh, either from the Holy Spirit or from your wife. Um, uh, so let me share with you. For those of you that don't know how we came to be here, um, Meg and I were planning to be in Torquay for another 10 years. Um, you know that was our plan anyway we'd obviously we were slightly mishearing or something I don't quite know what was going on and uh, that, that was what we were that was the intention uh, and we went out for dinner with some, with some friends he was coming to the end of his curacy and as, uh, as part of the evening he happened to share with us just all the jobs that he had looked at in passing and he just listed them and there was this one where God kind of went and I kid you not we got into the car for the drive home and we both said to each other we're not even going to look at it because we're going to be in Torquay for another 10 years that was either Friday or Saturday Tuesday I blame Megan. Tuesday morning, Meg caved in and, and read the beautiful words that you'd written about this place. And, uh, and then I caved in when I came back from the school run. Uh, and we're here. You know, God is quite able to break into the plans that we make and take us off onto a different track to get us where he wants us to be. He can do that. He can do that. Let me pray. Father God, take these, uh, take these words and help us. Help us to see you more clearly. In Jesus' name, Amen. You know, I have uh, this amazing, uh, I'm not sure it's a God-given ability, but amazing ability to say uh, the wrong thing at the wrong time. 
Um, when I was a teenager, uh, one of my favourite verses, or I, the verse that I felt kind of coming back and landing on me, uh, was that verse in James about controlling the tongue, um, you know, because there was a lot of work to do. And, um, you know, I, I just, it, particularly if I'm in, in an environment where you shouldn't say something, or it'd be inappropriate to say, you know, there's just... I, get, I kind of get overwhelmed from the inside out and I, I just want to say whatever would be the wrong thing or the most inappropriate thing. Uh, you know, and, and it's at that point that you know, the boot comes from under the table. And that's not the Holy Spirit. Uh, that is Megan. Um, <laughs> and she's always right. Um, I don't know about you, whether, whether you say... Ever, have any of you ever said anything stupid? Okay, some of you are nodding on behalf of the person who's sitting next to you. <laughs> yeah, them. I um. Do, do, do you remember the previous Archbishop of Canterbury? You know, the one with the beard, Rowan Williams. Yeah, who would he, he, very super clever man. Uh, so clever that actually there was an NIV translation for everything that he wrote. Uh, actually, when I was at, when I was at college, uh, it was just before he was announced as the Archbishop of Canterbury and kind of everyone knew and his wife was my tutor. So I got to know them a, just a little bit. But then when it came to me getting ordained, you know, all this stuff, um, he was in Canterbury and that's where I got done. And, and they send you off on retreat and because it was the Archbishop of Canterbury, Silent retreat. Three days. I don't, you know, some of you, we had the eight o'clock this morning. Beautiful, quiet. Some of us don't do silence very well. I'm learning. You know, three days. By the end of three days, I'm kind of going potty. And, um, um, and we got to the last evening before we were going to go, and we were staying in the International Study Centre just next door to uh, Canterbury Cathedral and uh, we're going to get ordained or done the following day and uh, we have this formal dinner at the International Study Centre. Very nice. In silence. And for my sin, I presume... I get to sit next to the Archbishop of Canterbury in silence for a formal dinner. I tell you, by the time I got to coffee, I was, I was like, I was going, because of this desire to just say something utterly idiotic. Because he's the Archbishop of Canterbury and it would be entirely inappropriate. And I, but I wasn't even allowed to speak. So I thought there must be something I can do. Coffee came round. Mints on the table. Take a mint. Take another mint. Now I've got two mints in my mouth and two wrappers. Little silver squares. In silence, formal dinner. I know. So I made him a little chalice... You know, the thing that we put the communion wine in. And a little pattern 
That's the thing that we put the bread on. Little silver one, and another little silver one. I spent about ten minutes on it. I mean, it was good. And then I gave it to him. It just seemed like the right thing to do. Believe it or not, he he seemed pleased. (laughs) I think probably he was utterly bemused. Thankfully, uh, he still did the honours the following day, um, which was jolly gracious of him. Have you ever had that where you've, you know, you've sat next to someone famous or something and just don't come out right? Today's reading is um, is one of those passages. Jesus takes his disciples off up the mountain. Whenever they go up the mountain, something's going to happen. They go off up the mountain to pray. We don't, need, we don't need to read anymore, do we? What a privilege that these three lads had to go up a mountain and learn how to pray to the Father with Jesus. So up they go, some quality time with Jesus, some time with the Father, learning how to pray, learning how actually to do life and ministry well. I've had two letters this week from the diocese. They both said, Mark, take a day off. (laughs) More than once a month. Every week was what they said. Apparently that's what... I have to rest. And pray. So do you. And our model is Jesus. Taking time out to go and pray. Hiding up a mountain or on a sofa in your conservatory as the sun comes up. Whatever it might be. Wherever you're... Yes, some of you, that's the spot. (laughs) We, Meg and I lived in one house and there was, nowhere good to, there was nowhere good to pray but we did have this sort of corridor of a spare room and we set up this little chapel at the end of it you know, with some prayer stuff to help us to remember. That was our mountain place. But this wasn't an ordinary day. This was not an ordinary prayer moment because suddenly the Daz advert happens. Some of, some of you are that old. You know, everything gets washed whiter than white. Suddenly everything is shining brightly. Suddenly they've been transported. Luke says that it was as bright as a flash of lightning. Matthew says that Jesus' face shone like the sun and his clothes were as white as light. What is that advert all about, by the way, with the shades of whiteness? Is it... I can't... I'm allowed to name products. Talk to the church warden. Vanish, I think it is. I'm not sponsoring them. Um, You know, it'll get you three shades whiter. All right, what... Wherever the shades were, Jesus was on like level 11 for whiteness. 
Everything was glowing. And what's more than that, these two people appeared next to Jesus. Moses and Elijah. Now this is the, you know, I'm alright with the story up until that point. But this is where my head kind of flips out a little bit because these guys are dead. Are we comfortable with that? Here's Jesus. I mean, he's, he's, he, they, they only went up for a bit of a prayer, just a quick prayer meeting before they get on with the next kind of feeding of the lots of people. And then, suddenly, everything's glowing, everything's kind of gone slightly odd, and there's these two dead guys with Jesus talking about what's going to happen next. I, I, I would have started to stumble on my words. Let's just unpack the whole kind of dead people talking to Jesus bit for a minute because I'm not sure we think about this that often. When Jesus is on the cross, he says to one of the criminals that was crucified with him, today you will be with me in paradise. And here's Jesus talking to two Old Testament figures, Moses and Elijah. They're talking about what's going to happen with Jesus. His departure. It's such a neat word, isn't it, in the NIV? His departure. It's like he's going to go and catch a plane. He's going to be crucified. Do you know what? The party in heaven's already started. The party in heaven has already started and we are surrounded by a company of saints. Those that have gone before us. And you know why the party in heaven gets bigger and better every single time someone comes to faith? It's because heaven's got so many people in it. I don't know how that whole time lag thing works, but all I know is that the party has started. Because Jesus says, you'll be with me today in paradise. And there's these two dead guys, not dead, talking to Jesus because they're alive. It's not, it doesn't do our brains. I don't know about yours, but mine's starting to flip out at this point. In In my prep this week, Uh, That was the first jump. The second jump was this. Let me read you verse 32 again. If you want to follow this, we're on page 982 in, in your Bibles. And I think I've got the same version, but we'll find out. Um, verse 32. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. (laughs) That's a good line, isn't it? Peter and his companions were very sleepy. What is that all about? I would think that if Jesus was in front of you and he was suddenly glowing as bright as lightning and his clothes were whiter than Daz could wash them and his face was shining like the sun, I would be awake. that's like the preacher's expression for I'm not sure I've got any more words you'll get used to me (laughs) or not they're sleepy 
Why are they sleeping? What? So I, I, I haven't done a kind of Bible study on sleep before, so I thought I'd do a little Bible study on sleep. I found one thing that kind of makes sense, made sense, and then another thing that I thought, I wonder if something else was going on that I hadn't seen before. Let me explain the one that makes sense. The one that makes sense is really straightforward. It's from Daniel. Daniel chapter 8, verse 17 and 18. You can go and look it up later. It goes like this. As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the end of time. While he was speaking to me, I, Daniel was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Then he touched me and he raised me to my feet. There's something about the presence of God that actually causes us to go a bit sleepy. To go a bit, not, wow, I'm awake, but... That's the verse that kind of makes sense. Vision, encounter, kind of revelation, and Daniel's kind of going, I was in this deep sleep, it's just kind of overwhelmed with the presence of God. Just where you are, just give us a kind of nod if you've ever kind of had an experience like that before. And there's this bit that doesn't, didn't make sense to me. I've never read it like this before and I'm entirely not sure whether this is a legitimate reading and it's only my second Sunday so you need to understand that preaching is often the first word but it's rarely the last. Okay? So some things that we talk about uh, are talk, are, we talk about for the purposes of introducing an idea and going what do we think? Yeah? Yeah? Preaching shouldn't be the last word, it can often be the first. This is the bit that kind of jumped at me. Matthew 26, verse 43. This is the passage where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. If you remember the passage, what happens is Jesus keeps going off to pray and the disciples keep falling asleep. Now, we've all, I've always read that passage as the disciples keep falling asleep because honestly they're exhausted and Jesus has gone off to pray and it's the middle of the night. It's like... I just wonder. Maybe. It might be a bit far-fetched. I just wonder whether something else is going on because this set of verses, this passage is the most significant journey in Scripture. Jesus going through the garden, getting arrested, being on trial, being crucified and and raising to life. And here's Jesus having this significant prayer encounter with his Father. Oh, would that you would take this cup away, but not your will, but my will. I wonder whether... 
it's that the disciples are so exhausted or whether it's actually that Jesus is inviting them to a different sort of prayer, a warfare kind of prayer, a standing firm kind of prayer, but actually they've just been overwhelmed by the presence of God and so overwhelmed that they've fallen into a sleep and a rest. I don't know. (laughs) Go and have a read. What I do know is that something happens when the space between heaven and earth gets thin. Something happens to us because we can't quite cope. When they were there in that place they saw his glory. So we're back in Luke. You remember the glory in Exodus 33? Moses again. Show me your glory. And God says, yes, I'll let my goodness pass in front of you. And he hides Moses in the cleft of the rock. And Moses sees God's glory passing. Glory and goodness. Somehow here, Jesus is glorified. They see his glory. Beginning of John, John 1.14. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. John 2 verse 12. The first of his signs. You know, that, that... chapter was really difficult to preach in my last church because there were so many alcoholics in the church. This is the, the, the miracle where Jesus turns water into wine and John's comment at the bottom of it is this is the first of the signs that reveal his glory. C- can I just have a moment of freedom and just celebrate that that's a really good thing? <laughs> Jesus turned water into wine! <laughs> yeah, sorry, it was just difficult to celebrate in my last place. And then just before we get to the transfiguration, the verse, two verses before uh, this passage, verse 26, if any of you are ashamed of my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of you when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of his only holy angels. There's something about this glory, the glory of God, not just for his return at the end of time, but his glory as is revealed through the person of Jesus, through his miracles, through what he does on the cross, but also in this moment where the disciples go, now, now we get a glimpse of who you are. And then Peter pipes up. I, I, I don't want to give Peter a hard time because... Well, well let's, let, before we give him a hard time, let's look at the other options. I mean, because Mark gives him a hard time and Luke gives him a hard time. Matthew just kind of uh, moves on. Um, there are some other options. You see, one of the other options is that actually he wasn't saying something stupefied. Stu- stupefied? I mean, he was stupefied. Um, 
he wasn't saying something stupid. He was just so terrified that he wanted an excuse to go down the mountain and get some kind of canvas or shelter or something. Bring it back up there. It's like, give me some breathing space. I've got an idea. I'll get lunch. I'll make a tent. I, doesn't, I don't think it was that. Maybe, maybe it was the most brilliant bit of Old Testament and New Testament, even though it hadn't actually been written yet, Old Testament and New Testament theology. Maybe Peter understood that God tabernacled, dwelt, tented with people. Maybe because Peter is so amazingly astute and never never says anything dumb, he says, Ah, Jesus, it's time to tabernacle. It's time for a tent of meeting. It's time for the dwelling place of the King of Kings because I have seen your glory. And now I've got to build a tent because that's what you do. That's what the Old Testament says we should do so that God can be neatly contained in a tent. I'm not sure it was that, actually, but I think probably Matthew and uh, Mark and, and Luke are right. It was just a kind of verbal leak. <laughs> I'm going to say something. I shall, let's, make a, let's put up a tent. I, I think I probably would have said much worse. Or just made a silver chalice. <laughs> and Meg would have been beside me, kicking me. Jesus! <laughs> How might you have responded? You certainly wouldn't have misunderstood the next bit. As the cloud of the presence of God descends on the mountain. Not just a symbol of the presence of God, but the presence of God descends on the mountain. The presence of the Father. When Moses went to go and talk with God, Smoke, a pillar of smoke would appear to signify that Moses was conversing with the King of Kings, the Almighty God of the universe. It wasn't a symbol, he was really there, and the presence of God descends, covers the mountain. Remember when Moses went up the mountain? to get the Ten Commandments and the mountains covered with a cloud. The glory of the living God settles. When he settles on a place Everyone knows. Whether they've made a choice to follow Jesus or not, 
Everyone knows. If the Lord would bless this place by resting heavily on us with his presence, we won't have enough welcome team to hold the doors open. And we then better get pretty good at explaining the gospel because people are going to want to know. From the cloud comes the voice of the Father. This is my Son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Listen to him. Just look back in the passage just a a little bit. Before the beginning of chapter 9, and the chapters, by the way, the chapters weren't put in by Luke, you know, so uh, they're a later edition to help us to find our way around. The bit where Jesus sends out the twelve, you know they get sent before they've got it? How do we know that? They haven't seen him transfigured yet. They get sent out before they've got it. They get sent to go and do the work of the King of Kings before they've grasped fully who he is. You, you know that, that, do you know why that is so good news? It's good news because... You, you don't need to listen to me preach for another seven or ten years before you go and do something about it. You don't need to read another hundred books. Okay? Your training course is done. Everything else he'll teach you on the way. Everything else we'll figure out together. You'll figure it out with the people that you're sitting next to. Jesus sends us before we've got it. Next thing. And I am kind of coming into land. Um... Jesus asked them just before this passage, who, who do the people say I am? Who do the crowds say I am? Who do you say is? I, I hope you're really comfortable with talking about Jesus as God. Yeah? You know, sometimes we can get a bit sloppy with the words and we, and we go, okay, God... It's God. Jesus. No. God. Father. Jesus. Holy Spirit. Ooh, I don't know. Yeah. That's, well, it's not Trinity Sunday. He's the Holy One, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Sent One, the One that has to die. As C.S. Lewis puts it, there are only three options. He was either mad or bad or God. There's not many other options. He's either a lunatic or a liar or he is the Lord. He is who he says he is. If you ever want to have a row with a JW, this is a great place to start the row on. Don't let them distract you onto anything else. 
He's Lord, he's God, he's the anoint- he is the anointed one, the Messiah. He's not some kind of special divine being. Kind of some angelic realm thing. He's God. The King of Kings. Through him everything was made that has been made. It's his kingdom. And he's the king. It's not Mark's kingdom. I know I'm the rector. It's not Mark's kingdom. It's his kingdom. Jesus is Lord. Will you let him be Lord? Let me come into land with just a a couple of little nuggets. The first one is this. Obedience leads to revelation. Okay, it's the bit that comes before this chapter, in the preceding bit of this chapter. Obedience leads to revelation. You know, if you want more revelation, you can dig and dig and dig and you will find some revelation. But actually, if you want a full, fuller revelation of who Jesus is and of what he's done, what you need to do is do the, do the thing he's told you to do already. And as you do that, you'll discover more of who he is along the way because he's got so much to show you. The second thing is this, is that supernatural is God's normal. Supernatural is God's normal. You know, sometimes I think we think about the kingdom of God as here's the kingdom of God, here's my world, and, and there's probably a little bit of overlap just here. And the aim of church is to kind of push my world into his so that the overlap has got bigger. That's not how his kingdom works. The kingdom of God is everywhere. It's like the air. It's like breath. His kingdom. Supernatural is his normal. We are his created beings and he loves and delights what he's made, but actually the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And sometimes as we come to terms, as we see a bit more of his kingdom, because we suddenly realise sometimes things get a bit weird. Sometimes the world becomes a bit thin and we get a bit kind of sleepy. Hopefully, not with being exhausted, but with being overcome with who he is. The next thing is that we're supposed to have open eyes. And we can pray for open eyes. I came across uh, this wonderful prayer of Elisha. Not Elijah, the other guy we were talking about earlier, but Elisha. Um, 2 Kings, verse six, seventeen. Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots and fire all around Elisha. You know, this stuff's going on all the time. God's at work. 
problem is, is that we're right in the midst of it. Our little bit. And we just don't see it. Lord, open our eyes so that we would see what you're doing and join in. God's put people around you. And he wants to use you to help them see as well. It's good to pray. And let me land with this. Uh, From 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces, reference back to Moses, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is spirit.